Welcome to Coach House Talks. And so here we are, at the end of a year of looking at the book of Acts, finding out what it means to us as a church, looking at the fact that this is the same age now as that early church, we finally come to the end of our journey. We finally reached Acts 28. And so the end is in sight. Or is it? In Acts 27 verse 14, we've kind of concluded this long journey that that Paul and Luke have found themselves on. And it says this in verse 14, And so we came to Rome. At the end of an exhausting journey, Paul and Luke finally lay eyes on the beautiful city of Rome. I'm sure the journey was not at all how Paul had envisaged it, since God had revealed to him that he must go to Rome. I'm pretty sure that the path marked out to him was somewhat different to what he might have expected or even wanted. Acts 23 verse 11, The Lord appeared to Paul and said, Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome. And I want to stress this. He had to go to Rome. Now, this isn't a passive instruction. This isn't God saying, look, it would be really nice if you might consider for me going to Rome. No, this was an absolute and imperative action. You must. And when God gives you a promise, that's what you do. That's what your faith is based on. That's just what you do. And Paul, as we saw on the journey, was unswerving. He knew he would get to Rome. Why? Because God had told him that he would do, that that was his journey's end. So the journey looked like this. I mean, it wasn't since that instruction came to him in Acts 23. We've spent time in prison. We've spent a long journey by sea. There's lots of things going on since that instruction was given. So the journey looked like this. We had two years stuck in a prison in Caesarea. We had two Roman governors, Felix and Festus, not knowing how to deal with this problem of Paul in their prison. Paul had an opportunity to testify to King Agrippa during this time. And then we've got the sea journey itself, described for us vividly by Jamie over the last couple of weeks. Stuck on a trading vessel, a grain ship, in troublesome winds and storms. Shipwrecked on Malta, bitten by a snake. Aboard a second grain ship, a slow and exhausting haul to the coastline near Rome. It was some journey. Acts 28 verse 15 tells us that the brothers and sisters in Rome had heard that we were coming and they came out to meet us at the Forum on the Appian Way. Others joined us at the Three Taverns and when Paul saw them, he was encouraged and thanked God. So as they reached dry land, which I'm sure they were welcome of at this point, the news of Paul's imminent arrival had gone ahead to believers who were in the area and the pubs emptied as people came to greet him. Well, at least the three taverns did. Actually, it's probably, we can assume, I think, that the town was named after three distinct taverns rather than just the frequent frequenters of three taverns came out to see Paul. One of the reasons Paul's journey took place was to encourage and organise the churches. As Jews and Gentiles become believers of Jesus, they became known collectively as followers of the way. 
It was important that God sent them apostles to reiterate the fulfillment of the messianic promises of God, that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Remember that the apostles are eyewitnesses. And it's really important as we've gone through Acts that this has been at the forefront of our minds, that the entire story is based on telling people who Jesus actually is, that Jesus was the promised Messiah. His life, death and resurrection were the proof that this man Jesus was God and that all the promises made, beginning with the ones made to Adam and Eve, promises to Noah, Abraham, Moses, throughout the judges, visualised and pictured for us in the book of Ruth, sung about in the Psalms, pronounced by the prophets. This Jesus fulfils them all. He is the new covenant promise, the Messiah, the Kingsman Redeemer, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the resurrected Son of God. And it was Paul's principal role to bring this good news this good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And in order to do that, he had to come to Rome, the centre of all things. Jamie explained to us that the old adage that all roads lead to Rome. It was the centre of everything. And there was believers there. They existed and they needed help as well. They needed encouragement and they needed guidance. We know that at Pentecost, right the way back in Acts chapter 2, when the church was, was started really, we know in Acts chapter 2, in verse 10, it tells us that Jews and converts to Judaism came from Rome. They were there in Jerusalem at Pentecost. And therefore, they would have heard the news of Jesus. They would have witnessed the signs and wonders performed by the newly spirit-filled apostles. We also know that the book of Romans written to the believers in the city was written by Paul some three or four years earlier than his arrival. So there must have been an existing church that Paul had written to. Now, throughout his journey to Rome, as he's got closer and closer, Paul's reputation has grown. And although he's a prisoner awaiting trial, he was given some fairly relaxed conditions. Verse 16, when we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodgings, though he was guarded by a soldier. We see here the respect that Paul has gained. Some I suspect is because he was a Roman citizen, hence his appeal to be tried by Caesar, but also because of reputation. Remember on the sea journey to Rome that he had transitioned from captive to captain. Now on arrival in Rome, Paul is eager to find out what news has travelled before him. What have the Jewish leaders heard about him? Was it good? Was it bad? Was it the lies that had been spread about him in other places that he travelled from? What was the bottom line that these Jewish leaders would be basing their understanding of Paul on? He tackles this head on by calling together the Jewish leaders so that he can address them. Verse 17, three days after Paul's arrival, he calls together the local Jewish leaders and he says to them, Brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government, even though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors. The Romans tried me and wanted to release me because they found no cause for the death sentence. 
but when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people. I asked you to come here today so that we could get acquainted, and so I could explain to you that I am bound with chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. And they replied, Well, we've had no letters from Judea or reports against you from anyone who has come here. But we want to hear what you believe. For the only thing we know about this movement is that it is denounced everywhere. So the only thing these people, these, these Jewish, the Jewish the believers in, in uh, or the, the leaders in, in Rome had heard was that the way, the, 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 the following of Christ, have been denounced. So Paul's first meeting is to convince the Jewish leaders that he's got nothing against them in any way. If you remember back to most of the accusations that Paul had faced in Jerusalem, they were all based on lies that Paul had come to teach the Jews to disobey the law and therefore their leaders. Paul wanted to ascertain if this was the perception in Rome. Is that what they'd heard? And once Paul has dealt with this, it was straight in with the pronouncement that the Messiah, the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, had already come, namely Jesus. See, Paul doesn't hang around. It comes as quite a surprise that no bad word about Paul has reached the Jewish leaders in Rome at this time. Well, at least nothing personal. Just a general denouncement of the entire believer's newfound faith. Anything that was seen as a threat to the Roman system of control. You see, the Romans believed in many gods. So any talk of one god would have to be put down and rubbished. It would be seen as divisive and going against Roman authority. Nevertheless, the Jewish believers wanted to hear about what Paul himself believed. And Paul, not being one to waste an opportunity, set about doing just that. Verse 23, so a time was set, and on that day a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures, using the law of Moses and the books of the prophet. He spoke to them from morning till evening. Notice how he uses the things that the Jewish leaders would base their authority on. The books of Moses, the books of the prophets. And he spoke from there, talking about Jesus. Some were persuaded by the things he said, but others did not believe. And after they had argued back and forth amongst themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, Go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles and they will accept it. And when he said these words, the, Jewish depart the Jews departed greatly disagreeing with each other. Now, verse 29, you'll notice in some of your Bibles is asterisked below. It probably doesn't, it's probably not there in the main body of the text. 
because it's not always in all the manuscripts that have been found. So the NLT, for example, that I'm reading from, asterisks it and doesn't include it in the main text. But ouch! Once again, after faithfully pronouncing the good news to the Jews, their rejection is given as the reason that this good news has been offered to the Gentiles. And here we have the ultimate playing out of God's plan, both for Paul and the gospel. It is for everyone. But Paul never wavered in bringing it to the Jews first. And only after the Jews had rejected it did it go to the Gentiles. As Jamie explained to us last week, the old adage that all roads lead to Rome tells us so much about the cultural importance of this great city. If you know any church history, you will know that for centuries to come, the battle for religious supremacy raged between the cities of Rome and Constantinople, today's Istanbul. Even today, we live in the times after the Reformation when the power exerted by the Roman church was questioned and eventually the Reformation brought a breaking free with the establishment of the, with the, with the, establishment of the Protestant movement. Literally, those who were Protestants against the Roman church. What have the Romans ever done for us is a line from a very funny Monty Python scene. However, the hesitant replies of uh, education, sanitation, transportation, etc., etc., goes to show just how much that we've been dependent on Roman investment from their empire building. And it was these very things that allowed the gospel to spread. It has to be said that if you wanted to get the gospel out quickly and effectively, it will be difficult to find a more efficient tool than the expansion of the Roman Empire and, their road, and the roads they built to feed it. Along these highways, the gospel spread fast. We've already been introduced to the Appian Way to the west that Paul's travelled along as he's approached Rome. And then there's the Ignatian Way, which stretches eastwards into Macedonia and linked Rome with Philippi, Thessalonica, etc. All these roads were used by God to great advantage to let people know the good news. And we're told in verse 30 that for the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense and he welcomed all who visited him. So he was allowed visitors. People travelled to him and he sent letters back out with them. Boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. So everyone came to visit Paul while he was there remaining in Rome for another two years awaiting his trial. The communication networks, the superhighways built by the Romans made communication so much easier. Paul wrote his prison epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon and Philippians during these two years. So as well as people coming to him, the news was going out. They would bring questions from the churches that he'd helped establish and he would send out replies to them that we now have as, as the epistles. And this is all God's sovereignty at play. No minute was wasted while Paul was in, in the, held in captivity in Rome. Throughout scripture and throughout history and continuing today, you will see God using all that is placed before him, whether it be kingdoms ruling and expanding or even the forcing of churches to embrace technology to reach so many more people. 
Nothing is wasted with God. And I want to give you an example of that. Even in these today's of being these days that we have now, where we are at lockdown and, and we can't get out, we can't we can't commune in the same way that it used to. This is what's happening today, whilst churches, the buildings are closed. So this is a recent poll. It's just been taken by Tear Fund, and it tells us that in the UK, one in four people have attended an online church service in the UK in the past month. That's a quarter of the UK population has ventured into an online church service. One in 20 has started praying. And of these numbers, one in five has never, ever attended church before. The numbers we see on our beacons and our website interaction are beyond our comprehension. The church was not and is not stifled. God's timing and plans are his and they are always for the best, even if we struggle to grasp it. Paul's journey to Rome was the best plan for the fulfilment of of his commission. So let's remind ourselves from Acts 9.15 what that was. So this is what God revealed. He said this, Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings. Remember that he spoke to King Agrippa, as well as to the people of Israel. There's his commission. And it was also the fulfillment of the apostles' commission to make disciples in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This was essentially completed in the main due to the expansion of the Roman Empire through mainland Europe to Great Britain, along the Mediterranean to Spain and northern Africa and eastwards through Macedonia and Asia. This was the then known world. And maybe maybe that's why Acts just leaves us at this point. Maybe that's why Acts just suddenly ends like it's the edge of a cliff. The urgency of the 28 chapters that have been before comes to this abrupt end. Paul gets to Rome, makes a speech, announces the good news to the Gentiles, and then that's it. The message of the kingdom of God under God's sovereign control has gone from Jerusalem to Rome, from Jew to Gentile, and the impact is reverberated through time and is still active and spirit-led today. And this is probably why the historical account from Luke ends here. Job done. Mission accomplished. And now it's over to us. I've said before that we live in the last remaining age. The same age that the book of Acts introduces. There's only one thing we're waiting for now. And that's the Lord's return. See the story didn't just stop. It's just that the baton's been now firmly placed into our hands. Just as Paul urged the churches as he helped, he helped to establish, to push on, to dig in, be faithful, tell others, heal the sick, represent Jesus. So this is our task today. We are the torchbearers. So what happened to Paul after this? Well, Acts doesn't really tell us. So we're left with other scriptures and historical writings to fill in the gaps. It's likely that Paul got his trial after the two years, or that he was just simply let go and the trial didn't, didn't happen. But if the trial did happen, he was acquitted. 
he possibly sailed to Spain. Some of the scriptures that we look at in, in Romans, for example, tell us that Paul's intention to go to Spain. Now, these are not covered in, in Acts, so we can be fairly sure that there are some more journeys that went on. Some of the letters that he writes, some of the instances that come up in some of the other letters and the epistles tell us that Paul journeyed to other places which are not accounted for in Acts. So, whatever reason, Paul seems to carry on with his, with his, with his journeys, maybe goes to Spain, goes to other places. And tradition has it that Paul was eventually martyred when he was back in Rome under Nero. We know that he was to be found back in prison in Rome as the second letter to Timothy was written from there around 67 AD. So there's a gap. And in that gap, we think that Paul travelled to Spain and other areas. So as Luke brings the curtain down on the historical events of Acts, he uses an important phrase. No one tried to stop him. Now on first glance, that probably doesn't look that important or sound that important. However, the Greek word used here means without hindrance. The word was out and it was unchained and unfettered and free. What Paul was basically telling us was that he may be in chains, but the word of God is not. Church, what happens now is up to us. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.